Aren't you thankful this morning that there is a fountain that flows from heaven? God has called you and I out not to be reservoirs, but to be rivers. And uh, we have uh, prayed about and thought about and desired to walk this year in changing the story. It's our theme for the year. And uh, God would use each one of us to make a difference in this world. And I'm here to tell you, you might think, you know, it's just too much to make a difference. God's only talking about one life at a time, okay? There's someone in your life right now that needs a touch from Jesus Christ. And you know who who God's put in their life? You and me. One of the ways that Beaverdam Baptist Church is changing the story is through our food bank. And many of you uh, have brought some canned food. You're going to get a bigger opportunity for that today as well. But uh, many of you maybe have uh, been back there to see what's operating. And we're going to challenge you to pop back there on Sundays. All you got to do is walk through one of these two back doors here and out the back door there, and you're going to see uh, dozens and dozens of people lined up to be blessed by you and by this food bank. Sandy and John Wilcox have uh, run this ministry for the last number of years, and I've asked Sandy to come forward this morning and share a little bit so you get a little bit more of a firsthand experience about what's going on. Sandy, you come and share, if you will. <coughs> Okay, Gary, that was, um, that was a great introduction. However, that was, you just blew my whole uh, first gig here. <laughs> okay, so what I was going to say was, um, who knows what that building is out back? Raise your hand. Everybody okay, knows. Great, so not everybody. Um, and keep your hands up if you know it's the food pantry. Okay, cool. Now, has anyone ever been out to the food pantry? Keep your hands raised. Has anyone donated to the food pantry ever? Has anyone donated every month to the food pantry? Oh, hands down. Okay. And has anyone donated this month to the food pantry? No hands? None whatsoever? Because I have a prize. I do have a prize. Who has their hand raised? Who? Oh, I'm sorry. I can't see you behind there. You're sitting behind Tony. Cool. All right, well, I have a prize for you. It's uh, pakaya. I have no idea what it is. It's been in the food pantry for about two years. No one will take it. So it's yours. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Okay, so let me tell you a little bit about the food pantry. Baptists love numbers, so I got some numbers for you. Go ahead, turn around. This is my lovely assistant, Vanna. I'm sorry, Hannah. So look at those numbers. Aren't they impressive? Oh, did you want to know what they were? Okay. All right, so we pick up seven days a week from Food Lion. Uh, We're going to start picking up from Walmart, um, and that's our main um, donator for fresh fruits and vegetables. Um, We have – we've been in business, so to speak, for 10 years. Actually, this July 4th will be 10 years. We have 19 volunteers. We average 40 clients per Sunday. So that's 40 people that come through and they feed their family an average of 1 to 11 people. So you do the math. (coughs) All right. So our budget from Beaverdam Baptist is $250 per year. Um, We have to pay fees to uh, Feed More, which is our umbrella organization. And those fees, plus we have to go down each month and make a withdrawal from the food bank, 
and they want you to call it that withdrawal. Um, and you have to pay 19 cents a pound. So that averages out about $30 a month. That means our fees for the year are 570. This number, actually this number does not go into this number. How does that happen? But God makes it happen every year. Um, and just like Gary said, Gary Perkins said, um, he could do it without us, but he does it through us. Um, and so that's a, a huge blessing to be able to do his job um, and what he has allowed us to do. Um, all right, so this number, any guesses? That is the poundage that we have picked up in 10 years, 103,723 pounds that just go out to that little food pantry up back, 10,000. That is the number of mouths that we have fed in 2015 only, one year, okay? That floored me when I found that out. I, I wasn't keeping track of that, and they came out to the food pantry and said, hey, you guys are doing great. Here's your number for 2015, and that just amazed me. Um, that is the Lord straight up. Um, that is, we have nothing to do with that. He has people that he wants to feed, and that's it. Um, thank you, Hannah. <laughs> you could leave. Um, my lovely assistant. Okay. So um, there's two aspects to the food pantry. What we can do for you, we can, if you, our basic um, criteria is if you need food. I don't look at money. I don't look at, you know, if you have a job or not. If you are having a bad week, you need to buy tires for your truck, you could use a few more um, dollars to help out with that. You're welcome to come to the food pantry and get a box of food. I have no problem with that. Um, if you can't get food stamps, that's fine. If you can get food stamps, that's fine. I really don't ask any questions about money and stuff. That's between you and the Lord. So anybody is welcome to come back at, at 1230. Um, what can you do for us? Good question. You could pray for us, number one, because we're always under attack. There's always stuff going on behind the scenes. Um, you can help us by coming out on Sunday and help clean up. We open up at 1230, but we're done by about 130, and we could use help cleaning up. We can, help, we can use help during the week um, picking up food from um, either Food Lion or Walmart, uh, which we're going to be starting to get, which is huge. And um, a special request from my husband would be one person or two on Sunday, one Sunday a month, to drive to Richmond to go get food in Richmond on Sunday. Why is that? Because we haven't worshipped together in 10 years because John runs down to um, Richmond to do that. So that would be a huge blessing for someone to do that. Another reason to help out in the food pantry is to get to wear these very chic um, aprons. Everybody loves to wear aprons in the kitchen. All right. And the last thing <coughs> about working in the food pantry is that in the story of the wedding feast at Cana, when the Lord changed water into wine, very few people were actually 
aware of that. Jesus was, his mother was, the disciples were, but the workers were the one that saw the miracles. There have been so many miracles at the food pantry. I really don't have time to go into them right now. Hopefully Gary will let me come back another day and I could just tell you all about the miracles because it's just really one after another after another. Our, um, the food pantry's uh, Bible leadership verse is, I write this down because I'm not going to read it. It's Isaiah 58, verses 7 through 11. Read that. I always feel like you get much more out of a verse when you read it yourself than to have someone read it to you. All right. Um, this is the first week that we're going to be doing this. There are going to be grocery bags at the back of the store. Uh, back of the store, sorry. <laughs> at the back of the church. Take one of those grocery bags. Fill it up if you can. If you cannot, bring us one can next week. If everyone in this church brought us one can, we would be filled to the max. And that would be a huge blessing through the Lord working through you. That's all I have to say. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sandy. Appreciate that very much. And... Um, I'm not going to be as easy on you as Sandy was. We're going to give you that grocery bag, but we want you to bring the whole bag back, okay? And um, what a blessing. You'll be blessed. But, you know, think about this, and we're going to talk about it more in a minute. But we have been so blessed as Americans. And I imagine that most of us could go home today, take that grocery bag, and fill it up off the stock on your shelf. Wouldn't have to go to the store because we, most of us have that much in supply. So I pray about it this week. and. Why are we doing this? Because we want to be, as a body of believers, involved in the ministries of this church. 19 volunteers back there every week, and they pick up food and all kinds of things, and Sandy and John run it. But what a blessing for us to be part of that, because we are. We're part of the body of Christ here at Beaverdam, and so we can actually have hands and feet involved in ministering to people through the food ministry. So think about that this week and, and pray about it. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I'm excited this morning. I'm excited about God's Word. I'm excited about being here with you this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're continuing our march and our walk, unpacking the, uh, the Beatitudes. As you know, Jesus Christ came and kind of turned things upside down so they could be right side up. If you have your Bibles open to Matthew 5, verse 4, stand with me this morning, if you will. I'm going to read a real long scripture here. I think most of you probably already have it memorized. Matthew 4, Matthew 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Let's pray. Father, may you bless the reading of your holy word. Father, we thank you, Lord, <clears throat> that the greatest sermon ever preached, Father, this masterpiece, Father, has been recorded for all eternity. Father, it's recorded for us this day, Father, that we might understand walking with you in a greater way. Father, we thank you now once again for all these things in the precious, powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. January 10th, 2003, young sailor by the name of Terry Dreyer set out to seas. And unbeknown to him, he was sailing into a major storm. Turned around, tried to make it back to the shore, but did not make it. His ship capsized, just a little yacht capsized, and... He ended up spending 20 hours floating in just a life jacket in open seas. Temptuous, temptuous seas and, and incredible storm out there. And uh, Terry, by his own acknowledgement after he got rescued, said that I thought I was going to die. 
I was sure. I was making peace with my God. I was praying like anything. And, you know, I, I realized that there was probably no hope for me because I was out in the middle of nowhere. Nobody knew where I was at. My radio had gone out before we actually went under, before the ship went under. Well, helicopters, the Coast Guard sent it out there because his wife notified the Coast Guard and said, my husband has not responded to his radio. I'm feared he's lost. So they sent a helicopter out there searching for him. After those 20 hours in the water, they identified a little guy in a life jacket in the middle there. They couldn't land, land the helicopter. They didn't have a diver with them, but they radioed the closest ship they could find. It was a, new, uh, it was a USS warship heading to the Persian Gulf for war. The name of that ship... The USS Comfort. Go figure. They made their way over there within about two hours and saw him there and rescued him out there. And they had doctors on board. And uh, they were able to help him recover from all that exposure in the ocean seas. And he, uh, he survived that because the USS Comfort came and rescued him. That ship went out of its way to rescue Terry. There may be some in this room this morning that feel like they're treading water. You feel like, you know, I'm just not sure if I'm going to make it, just like Terry did in that open sea that day. Maybe you're here this morning and wondering, you know, what is life really all about? I just can't seem to figure it out. I can't seem to get things lined up long enough for me to kind of get some peace of mind or some joy in my life. I want you to know this morning as we get into this second beatitude that we're going to be looking at, that the deliverer, your comforter, is hovering right above you, just like that helicopter. God is saying, hey, I have comfort that you cannot even begin to explain, that you can't even begin to wrap your arms around. I want to come into your life and comfort you. And this verse is profound this morning that we're getting ready to look at. You know, throughout all humanity, there's been this cry of desperate need, cry from release, from bondage, cry for freedom, the cry for peace in my soul and my heart. A cry for hope. I just don't have any hope. Things keep just getting turning from bad to bad to worse. A cry for healing. You know, it's amazing when we face deep sorrow, when we face tragedy, we face disappointment, we face failure. You know what we're looking for? We're looking for an escape from that. We're looking for comfort someplace. We need that comfort in our life. The deeper the sorrow, the harder the pain, the harder the pressure... The worse the despair, the more difficult it seems to be, to be for you and I to receive comfort and to find that comfort. How do I find comfort in the midst of this battle? How do I find the comfort that only God can give? It's interesting here as we get into the, the second Beatitude, verse 4 we just read a minute ago, blessed are those who mourn, that all the Beatitudes are paradoxical. All the Beatitudes are paradoxical. What does that mean, Pastor? It means there's, there's, they're confused. They don't make sense. How could it last week we talked about that you're blessed if you're poor? Is that my cell phone? I'm just kidding. No problem. Is it for me? I'm not here. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus is preaching here, the greatest, I don't want you to miss that thought, the greatest sermon that's ever been preached, Jesus Christ preached it himself. But every promise that he gives us out there comes with something that can require something totally upside down. How can I be blessed when I'm sad? How can I be blessed when I'm poor? 
What could truly be more self-contradictory than the one we're looking at this morning? What do you mean I can be blessed if I'm sad? He's saying here the, the true path to joy and to happiness comes out of what? Sorrow. He's saying that sadness can be gladness. Happy are the sad. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The idea is absolutely absurd. How can that be? The way to happiness, typically in yours and my life, means that things are going my way. I'm getting the things I want or the things I feel like I deserve or the things I need in my life. It doesn't happen when I'm feeling bad. It doesn't happen a lot of times that I'm feeling blessed when things are going absolutely wrong in my life. Things are upside down and I'm going backwards. Jesus Christ has reversed the path to happiness, to blessedness. Blessed are those who are poor. Blessed are those who are sad. You know what he's talking about here? Don't miss this. And this is where we're going here this morning. Jesus Christ is about ready to let us know that blessed are those who are sad about the presence of sin in their life. This is huge, everybody. I'm looking at myself first. I need to go back right now and look at the mirror in the bathroom and preach this a couple of times myself. Blessed are those who are sad over the presence of sin in my life. I can't remember a sermon in recent days here where I've been more affected or afflicted by a message. God has been speaking to me this week. You may be saying, the pastor sins. You better believe it. I'm right up there with Paul, chief among sinners. But you know, when I study this verse and when I ponder this thought about the fact that, you know, I need to be sadder, I need to be mourning more, I need to be agonizing, I need to be just absolutely deep welling in my soul because of sin in my soul. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, we have a problem though. Why? Because we compare it to other people. You Well, I don't sin as much as that person. Or my life is better than that person. Or think about this. How is it that we can kind of walk in sin? It's because we kind of rename it. We don't really say, well, that's not sin because, you know, I, I'm a pretty good person and I do this and that. Jesus Christ is saying, you're not truly going to be blessed until you get right with me. Until you begin sinning. I mean, I'm sorry, until you begin crying and mourning over the sin in your life. What is that? We're going to talk about repentance in a minute. But it really means that yours and my heart is not going to be where it needs to be with God until we really understand that we're sinners saved by grace. That we've all sinned. You know, it begs the question this morning as we look inward for just a moment. I told you your pastor's been doing that big time this week. Thinking about what is it in my heart, in my mind, that is not right with God? And then the next little question for that, because of this, what is it keeping me from receiving from God? I can tell you right now, it's the fullness of God's grace. When I'm not where I need to be with God, when I'm realizing sin in my life and not doing anything about it, you know what happens? I miss God. The Scripture tells us, if I regard iniquity, sin in my heart, I will not hear from God. Listen very carefully. You know this already. Sin separates us from God. It's sin that causes us not to have a relationship with God to start with. Then we, re we realize that and we, we repent and we come to know Jesus Christ. But you know what? Sin continues and can continue to keep us from God. Continue from receiving what God has for us. Blessed are those that are sad over the presence of sin in their lives. Not blessed are those that never come to the point in their life when they cry over the presence of sin in their life. If I'm not walking in that way, if I'm not getting up in the morning and during the day asking God, forgive me my sins, God. 
You know, I believe most of us get to a point in our life when we realize, well, I'm not robbing any banks. I'm not killing anybody. I'm not maiming anybody. I'm not committing any armed assaults. Well, whoopee-doo, that's great. I'm thankful you don't. Well, listen, there's so much more. There's more sins of commission, but you know, I believe one of the bigger causes of sin in Christian's life is the sins of omission. It's interesting that uh, Sandy kind of stepped on our toes a little bit. You know, who's been back to the food bank this month? Who's been back to the food bank to bring food? I think conviction's good. Well, think about this. How many days this last week did we get into our Holy Word? How did my prayer life look this last week? Did I take time to share Jesus with anybody this week? Man, God's book is full of all these. I'm not doing this to shame you. I'm doing this to let you know that every one of us, beginning with this person right here, need to confess our sins to him. Not to anybody else. You can do that too if you've sinned against somebody or been a reproach against somebody else. But I'm talking about my relationship with God. Your relationship with God. Am I clean in front of God because I'm confessing the sins I know about? And then when you get to that point, you begin saying, well, God, there's probably more sins in my life. Show me the sins in my life that aren't pleasing to you. God, where am I missing the mark with you? Sin to God is like garbage. It's like garbage. Who's truly happy living in garbage? I don't think anybody. We're supposed to take out the garbage, not hang around with garbage. Maybe you've been in somebody's house before. Maybe especially on some of these mission trips, we've gone to people's house. My heart breaks because they're living in garbage. They have no place to take it. Their front yard's filled with garbage because they don't have like what we have, a dump or something like that. We're, we're, we're traumatized a little bit because this person is living in kind of squalor. And, you know, for the expression, maybe a pigsty. For this, used to express the look of some of our children's rooms sometimes. Your, your room looks like a pig's pen. Let's go clean it up. Nobody, nobody likes to live with garbage. Think about this for a second. We've invited Jesus Christ to come live in our life, right? Are we inviting him into this home that's filled with garbage? Really? Are we? I mean, I, I know the picture might be a little stark, but that's what we're talking about here. When we're holding on to the sin in our life and we're not confessing it and we're not agonizing and mourning and wailing and have an incredible sadness over the sin in our life, we're never, ever going to receive the blessings that God has for us. He's going to bless us. But there's a whole other level waiting out there. That's why Jesus preached this. He's saying, hey, when you are spiritually bankrupt, that's what we talked about last week, being spiritually poor, when you come to a point in your life when you're spiritually bankrupt, you know what's going to happen when you do that? You're going to begin realizing God in a more powerful way because I'm humble before God. That's what we're talking about there. But think about this. The natural outcome, and the reason that this uh, beatitude is number two here in the list, the natural outcome is when I am spiritually poor, when I'm spiritually bankrupt, it makes me want to cry. I don't have anything in here that I need. What do I need to do, God? And he's telling us right here, number two, blessed are those who mourn. He's telling us you need to mourn over your sin. You want to be, stop being spiritually bankrupt? Then begin mourning over your sin. Begin getting serious about what I've called you to be. A person that desires to walk holy. We'll never all get there. We'll have something to pray about our whole life. It's about sin. God, forgive me my sins. God, forgive me about my sins. God, it's killing me. God, I want to get rid of this. And some of you, some of this person right here, has held on to sins way too long. 
Blessed is the one who is not comfortable living in garbage. Who mourns over the garbage in the life that breaks God's heart? What's the meaning of mourning? Well, there's legitimate and proper mourning. There's also improper mourning. We're not going to go down that road. Think about a couple of the things about proper mourning. It's proper to mourn about a lot of things. You know, I'm, I'm sad because this happened, or I'm sad because that happened. Mourning provides a way for you and I to be healed. Mourn over things. Mourn over loss. Mourning over, mourn over something changes in your life. You don't like it. It provides a way for healing. I think about some of the biblical illustrations about mourning. Abraham mourned Sarah's death. Remember that? It's in Genesis 23. Jeremiah mourned the sin of Israel all throughout Jeremiah. What do they call Jeremiah? The weeping prophet. What was he weeping about? The sins of himself and, and, and Israel. He was in anguish over the sin because he realized Israel's days are numbered. They're all over. How about this? I love this story. In fact, Amy sings a song about it. How about the woman that was incredibly broken over her sins? And she made a way in to see Jesus Christ. And what'd she do? She washed his feet with her tears and dried her hair, dried her, dried his feet with her hair. Remember Jesus? Jesus wept. Remember what he wept about? He wept about the death of his friend Lazarus. He wept about he wept about the sin of Jerusalem. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What Jesus is really talking about here is at a whole new level of mourning, though. We're talking about godly sorrow. You look up the word mourning or sorrow in the New Testament, there's nine, nine different words that are used for that mourning. The one we're talking about here is the strongest, deepest, most heartfelt mourning. It's agony. It's internal anguish. It's a deep inner agony. The word for it is pantheo, pantheo in the Greek. And it's reserved strictly, not in all cases, but strictly for grieving over the death of a loved one. The words used with Jacob when they came and told him that Joseph had been killed. It's used in the New Testament when the disciples realized that Jesus Christ had died on Calvary. People who are walking close with God Almighty mourn over their sin. Why? Because we can't draw close to God in our walk without having who He is and who I am overwhelm us. We can't be, over, we can't be more overwhelmed with love when we walk close to God. God desires a right relationship. I want you to ponder this for a second. You ever had a situation with maybe somebody very close, maybe a spouse or maybe a child, where there's just a disconnect. There's a break in the relationship. And that relationship isn't going to be right until you resolve the issue that caused the break. I'm sure we've all had them, minor, major, but we've all had those situations. And what needs to happen there is at least one of the people, if not both of them at the same time, come back to the other one and say, hey, I'm sorry for this. I want to fix this. I don't like the relationship the way it is. You know what Jesus Christ is saying this? He's saying, I want you to care about this relationship with God. I want you to be so concerned that it's not right. 
And he's telling us right now, you can get so busy in your life, you can get so preoccupied with things in this world, that you miss that relationship up there. You miss what God has for you. Why? Because I'm not mourning over the things that have broken this relationship. That I have broken the heart of God. That God is living in my heart, but I've crowded my whole life with garbage. So God's saying, mourn, mourn, mourn. If you have your Bibles very quickly here, turn with me to 2 Corinthians 7 here. Paul nails this. Paul knocks it out of the park here with the scripture he's reading. He's sending to the Corinthian church. And the Corinthian church had problem after problem. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, I'm going to read two verses here. And this is huge in far, as far as mourning, as far as having sorrow. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Listen to this. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you, what clearing, clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what venom and desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all these things you proved yourself to be clear in this matter. He's saying right now that godly sorrow produces repentance. We're not going to see repentance in our life until we have godly sorrow. We talk about that when you get saved, but listen very carefully. There needs to be repentance in our life every single day. God, forgive me my sins. God, I desire to move forward. God, I, I want to move in a new direction here, God. I don't want to do anything in my life that would hold me back from receiving the fullness of your grace. God, I don't want to miss what you have for me in my life. I want to get right with you, God. And I want you to hear this this morning as well. Watch this. Repentance involves a U-turn. You've heard that before, a change of direction. But the first step to repentance is not a change in behavior. It's a change in thinking. The first step to repentance is a change in thinking. Remember Romans 12, 2? Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? Not your behavior, but the renewing of your mind. Get rid of the world. Mourn over the things of this world that have preoccupied or that have gotten you involved in the wrong things. Mourn over those things. And let God renew your mind. We're not going to just go out and change something major in life, are we? We're not. We have to realize in our mind, first of all, that's not right. That's not the right thing to do. That's not the right direction to go. There needs to come upon something in our mind to realize, I need to change my thinking here because I'm allowing this to happen in my life. You know what God tells us? God tells us that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God, and we do. Even after we're saved, we keep sinning. But you know where, when God realizes that and God forgives us, where God has a problem is when we get involved in a habitual sin. We know in our mind or our heart, that's wrong. It's wrong to say that something bad about that person. It's wrong not to edify somebody. It's wrong to do this or to do that or not get in my Bible every day. And for that to become a habitual sin, that's wrong. God has a huge problem with that. That's what he's saying right here. Blessed are those that are mourned. Not blessed are those that do not mourn over those things. If we do not mourn, we will not repent. If we do not repent, we will not be saved. I'm not questioning anybody's salvation. If you know that you know that you know that you're saved, you're saved. But repentance is a thought change. It's changing the direction of my life. One of the easiest ways that I can change the direction of my mind and my life 
is to begin taking sin in my life more seriously and realizing that this is wrong. It's wrong by God's standard. I shared this several weeks ago, but you truly haven't repented, I believe, until you've changed. Okay? It changes your thinking. The day you get saved, the day you say, I want to change my life, isn't the day that you get cleansed of all these things that you've been carrying around, all the bondage and all the, the, the jails you've been sitting in in your life here? It's admitting that I'm going in the wrong direction. I no longer want to go that way, God. God, I want to walk in a whole other way with you. God, identify the sins in my life that are keeping me from doing that. God wants you to change directions. Maybe where you're at right now, God's right behind you and saying, hey, I want you to come my way. Come my way. Come my way. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We have to learn how to anguish. We have to come to a point in our life to learn how to anguish. You say, well, Pastor, how can I do that? I'm so glad you asked this morning. You ladies will appreciate this. Maybe some of you guys have gotten involved in this too, but you buy a piece of meat at the grocery store and it's not probably the most tender. It might not be the filet mignon. It may be just a tenderloin or maybe some sort of a steak of some sort, but it's not the most tender. So you desire, I want to make this as tender as I can for my family. So there's two ways to do that. One way is just to season it. You know, you kind of put some seasoning on both sides and let it sit out there and, you know, just let the good stuff soak in for a while. Just let that steak hang out with some really good stuff for a while. And it tenderizes that meat. You know, well, how does that relate to this, Pastor? Some of our hearts are not tender. Some of our hearts are hard and they're a little tough. Why? Because we're not hanging out with the right stuff. We're not hanging out with Jesus Christ. Remember what Paul said? It's all about the cross. It's all about the cross. The cross is a way of life. The cross, do not lose sight of it. You know, we're not hanging out with the cross enough. Have we truly pondered that thought back to Sandy's thought this week, today, this month? When's the last time I really pondered the thought? We see it every week. Have I really pondered that in my heart, that God sent His Son to die upon that cross, a brutal death for me, to forgive me what? My sins. And yet I'm still allowing my sins and my garbage to live my here in my life. How about... Those dishes you use to season that steak with sometimes, you know, sometimes the stuff gets really stuck on that plate. I mean, it's really stuck in you. You've got to kind of figure out, how will I ever, maybe have I ruined this plate? I don't know if I'll ever get this stuff off this plate. Well, what do we do? We typically fill up the sink with hot water and a little soap and let it do what? Soak. We let it soak. A lot of us are walking around with a lot of stuff sticking to us that doesn't really belong there. How do I get this stuff out of me? Listen very carefully. Same way. Let it soak. Let your life soak in the glory of God. Let your soak in the beautiful word of Jesus Christ through his holy word here. Let your life soak next to that cross that Jesus Christ died on. Because I want that stuff out of my life. Well, way number one to get rid of, to get, make that steak tender and to get our life right is just let it be seasoned. I think most of you know the other way to tenderize a steak, right? Maybe some of you ladies, one of your wonderful accoutrements you have in your, in your kitchen to cook with is a, like a little... Metal hammer, a little mallet. And so what do you do to that steak? Start pounding it and beating that steak so it gets nice and tender. Well, listen, you know the steak's still not tender, so I'm going to keep bang, 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 bang that steak. We can be seasoned by God's holy word and become 
serious about our sin, begin anguishing over sin, or God maybe will take that mallet. You're not where you need to be. So, Gary, guess what? I've had those mallet before, and they don't, they don't feel good. They hurt. I've been there when God had my desires at a higher level than I had my own desires. He saw something in me that I never saw because why? I was all focused this way. And he said, Gary, I got something for you to do in my kingdom. I have something new for you to do. I want to use you in a great way to, to bless your family, to bless your neighbors, to bless people that I know in my life. So, Gary, tenderize us with that hammer, that mallet. Blessed are the mourn, for they shall be comforted. What does it mean to be comforted? I love this out of Revelation 21 4. And God will wipe away every tear from your eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. It's God talking about what heaven is going to be like. You know what? You've heard this before, but we can have heaven here on this earth. God desires to comfort you and me. Listen very carefully. Nobody can comfort like God comforts. Nobody. Remember that upper room when Jesus gathered his apostles together? He said he had fervent desire to celebrate that Passover meal, but he also knew it was going to be the last meal he had on this earth with those men. And so he gathered them around that night and shared, the, broke the bread and, and drank of the cup, and we observed the Lord's Supper in remembrance of what Jesus Christ did for us there. But during that night, Jesus, especially in the book of John, he, he taught. And he had so many things. You know, this is the last opportunity to just sit here with these guys and speak directly into their hearts before I get crucified. So he took advantage of it. But he also told them, I'm going to die. And Peter, remember old Peter? He said, no, there's no way you're not going to die. You're not going to die. You'll never die. I'll die before you die, Christ. Jesus Christ looked at Peter and said, Peter, you're not only going to do that. Let me tell you what you're going to do. You're going to actually deny me three times before the rooster in the morning crows. No way. No way. We know the rest of the story. He denied Jesus Christ three times. Did Jesus Christ knew he was going to do that? Absolutely. He told them. Did Jesus Christ have a plan and all that? Absolutely. Remember what the Bible says that Peter did after that? The Bible says that Peter went out and wept. You know why he was weeping? Peter was anguishing over the sin that he committed there with Jesus Christ. I imagine he's thinking, I, I can't imagine doing a worse sin in my whole life than I'm a sinner. But to do that to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I mean, he was a broken man. He felt like he had broken the relationship with Jesus Christ forever. He was broken. He was weeping. He was living with a deep, deep anguish in his heart, weeping bitterly, it says. Jesus Christ rose from the grave, told those women standing there, he says, hey, tell the apostles to meet me at Galilee and Peter too. Imagine how Peter felt when he heard that. And me too. Okay. He actually said my name, yeah. He wants you to go too, Peter, go. Well, they went to the Sea of Galilee. They went out fishing there. You know, Peter and his boys were so distraught, they decided, well, I guess our little ministry here is over. I'm going to start fishing again. They were fishing. But while they're out fishing, what did they see in the shore? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ showed up, and what was he making them? Pancakes and fish. I'm here to tell you, he was making them breakfast. Jesus Christ loved those guys. Jesus Christ realized that, hey, we all fall short. 
Peter walks up to Jesus Christ on the shore there. This is a little sanctified imagination. But Jesus, I denied you. Why am I doing here? What am I doing here? You know what Jesus said, sanctified imagination? He said, I saw you mourning, Peter. I saw your heart broken. I saw that you had broken the relationship and you felt like you did. You never did. You made a mistake. And I love you. Come here and let me hug you. I'm here to comfort you. I think we've all had times in our life when we've made mistakes. I think we've all done things a day after, even maybe a moment after, man, I, I made a big mistake there, a bad judgment call, or I wish I hadn't gone that direction in my life, looking back. We all have them. Do you know what Jesus Christ is saying? He's saying, I just want you to get serious about the sin in your life today. I'm not going to hold what you did years ago over you. It's not about then. It's about today and tomorrow. And Jesus Christ is saying, Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time in your holy word. Father, speak to our hearts today, Father, that we all might realize, Lord, that we truly are poor in spirit. Lord, that we truly are bankrupt, Father, spiritually, Father, without you. We're nothing without you, Father. But we also realize, Lord, that there's steps back from that state, Father. And it begins, Father, with us, with us getting serious about our relationship with you and repenting and realizing that we may need to make a U-turn in the way we're living, Father. Not just the day we get saved, Father, but every day, Father. And realize there's two ways we can go. And, Father, we need to ask you for forgiveness every day, Father, when we realize we took the wrong turn, the wrong road. And, Father, you're always going to be there to wrap your arms around us, just like you did, I'm sure, with Peter that morning and told him how much you love me. And that you're there to comfort him. That you're, there, you're there to comfort us each and every day. Father, we thank you now for this most precious time in your holy word. Father, I pray that each one of us, Father, would leave and realize there's something about this verse, Father, that had our name on it. And that we'd go home, Father, and meditate on it. Father, I pray that you'd draw it back to mind, Father. Pray we might use these little cards we put in the bulletin each week, Father, with these different Beatitudes, Father, and that we would realize that Jesus Christ preached the greatest sermon, the greatest message our ears could ever hear, Father, when he shared life the way he intended it to be. Life filled with grace, Father, because of a loving Father and a Son that gave himself on that cross. Father, we pray now for this most important time of our service, Father, when we hear your word and desire to respond. Father, we thank you now once again. For all these things in Jesus' name, amen. I shared the story about Peter, and most of you know his story. But Peter was a fisherman. Peter was out fishing one day, and along came Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus Christ used his boat and preached for a while, but then he told Peter, go out and fish again. And Peter said, well, Rabbi, hey, you know, I'm a professional fisherman. We've been out all night. I don't think we'll catch any fish. But because you asked, I'll do it. Simply dropping his nets, Peter, changed his whole life. I want you to know this morning that maybe you've thought, hey, I'm going to get up this morning and go to church. And myself and the other pastors here and the staff of this church realize we take that seriously. We look at you as being a gift from God because there was a whole bunch of decisions you could have made to come to church today. First of all, to get up and get dressed and come out the door. But then there's probably only about 30 other churches in a 10-mile radius of this church. You could have picked another church. But God brought you to this church this morning. 
you're here not by accident. You're here because God directed you here. We look at each and every person here every single Sunday as a gift from God. You're a gift from God to this church. Many of you members, some of you aren't yet. But just like that day that Peter was kind of going about his business and fishing what he always did, all of a sudden Jesus Christ came along and said, Peter, I want you to do something. And Peter kind of fought from it, but then he did it. It changed his life. He caught more fish than he ever caught. First of all, Peter realized this guy knows more about fishing than I do. But he also realized there's something godly about this person. There's something different. You know what Peter did? He dropped his nets and followed Christ. It's not by accident that you're sitting here today. I believe if you're here today and never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, it's just like Peter. I know without a doubt, because the Bible says it, that God is knocking on the door of your heart right now. He's saying, open that door. I want to come in. Please open the door. I want to come in. There needs to be a time in your life when you have this personal relationship just like Peter had that day. Peter didn't know Jesus before that. He'd met him. Didn't really know him. But Jesus said, come follow me. I want to get to know you better. Jesus Christ is speaking to this room today, speaking to you and to me. He said, I want to know you better. No matter where you've been, I want to know you better. But also, if you're here today and you don't have me as a personal friend, as my personal Savior, I want to change that today. I want to change it today. And I want to tell you this. Just like that day of fishing with Peter when we met Jesus Christ and caught all his fish, it changed his life forever. That one single decision today, when you say, I want this Jesus Christ in my heart, in my mind, can change your life the rest of it, the rest of your days. Jesus Christ wants to have this relationship with you. What's he waiting on? Waiting on you to answer that door and say, I want that too. I want it too. He wants it worse than we do. All he's saying, all you do is have to open the door, and I'll come in.